Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. This week we're starting our new series called Abandon, and the sermon is about the cost of following Jesus. We hope you enjoy. How you guys doing? Good morning. All right, it's good to see you guys. I gotta tell you, I'm not 100%, but I'm gonna act like I am, okay? So see how well I fake it. Um, Rick, I love the jeans, by the way. I love it. All right, cool. <laughs> there you go. I, I mean, man, it's, he's connecting. I love it. Hey, um, we, we are starting a new series today. Okay, last week we finished up Mover, where we talked about our faith and how our faith is more effective when it's in Jesus than it is about us and how much discipline we have or how amazing we are or how strong or big or small our faith is, but that our faith is most effective in Jesus. And that's a major theme of Matthew. And today we're going to pick up a new series that's going to lead, lead us through Easter that um, addresses another major theme in Matthew. And that is that following Jesus comes at a cost. Following Jesus comes at a cost. Uh, it's, it's not a free endeavor. Um, everybody say this with me. Salvation will cost me nothing. Discipleship will cost me everything. Salvation costs me nothing. Discipleship costs me everything. The reason is, is that Christ paid all that we needed to be paid for salvation. Right? He did the work on the cross. It was all Christ. Christ, Christ, Christ. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But when we decide to follow Him, it cost us everything. It cost us everything. And we're going to look at that um, through the next couple weeks. We're going to look at why that is a cost worth paying. Right? And, and then is there something in our lives holding us back? Um, discipleship is a costly endeavor. Uh, we can see that in our culture today. As a matter of fact, um, let me give you some stats about how costly discipleship is in this world. Um, over the last 2,000 years, like since Christ was crucified, 43 million Christians have become martyrs. They've lost their faith because uh, they've lost their life because of their faith. 50% of those were martyred in the last century. In the last 100 years, 50% of the 43 million, 201.5 million people, have been, have two, tw- sorry, 21.5 million people have been martyred because they believe in Jesus, because they claim the name of Christ. More than 200 million Christians face persecution every day. 60% of those are children. 60% are children. And every day, 300 people are killed for believing in Jesus. Now, I say those stats and they probably like go in one ear and roll out the other because we don't feel that, right? I mean, in our culture today in America, we don't feel persecution. There's no fierce um, opposition to Christianity. I mean, we know there is opposition in our culture, in our world, in the U.S., but you know, nobody is dying for their faith today, really, in our, in our culture. Uh, nobody, we don't hear about that on a regular basis. We don't read it on the news that someone was killed because they're a Christian or that they were put in prison or their family was put in prison because they took a stand on Christ. And so it's easy for us to disconnect from the fact that following Christ really does come with a cost. But discipleship does have a cost, and it's something that, that we all have to pay. And the question is for us today is, what is the most valuable thing in this world to you? I just want to ask you today, what's the most valuable thing in this world? And what if God asked you to lay that thing down at His feet to follow Him? For some of us, it might be our family. For some of us, it might be our job or our marriage, our children. It might be um, a status or a, an idea of success. It might be an intangible. It might be love. Love is the most valuable thing. And if God called me not to love, which He would never do, but I would never lay that down. You know? Or maybe it's freedom. 
For some of us, it might be the idea of control, right? That I've got I've to have the last word over my life. And, and, and I'll follow Jesus right up until it conflicts with my will. You know, like, there, there might be something more valuable to you that God might be calling you to lay down. And let's face it, this is a, this is a difficult thing, right? I mean, people all over the world are giving up their life for Christ, literally. They are dying for the name of Jesus. And in America, we're not necessarily having to do that every day, but, but we have to give up something, something of value, something important to us. It's a cost for discipleship. It's hard to lay some things down that are tangible. It's hard to take something that we know we have and put it at the feet of Jesus for something that is promised in the future. Right? Because most of what Christ promises in the Scripture comes in the kingdom. Right? When, when His kingdom comes in the kingdom of heaven, it's not today. There aren't a lot of promises for today. There are, there are many, but most of what Jesus promises is for the kingdom to come when we are in glory. And it's hard to lay down these tangible, idealistic things today for something that we don't know when we're going to get it. Today we're going to see uh, some people in Scripture who are a part of this crowd that were gathering around Jesus, and they stepped out and they said, we've counted the cost, we're ready to do this, I want to be a disciple. I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus answers their hearts in very specific ways. All right, we're going to see that maybe they didn't fully count the cost. And maybe we're going to see that maybe we haven't fully counted the cost. And there might be something God's calling you to do today. Something to lay down. So join me in Matthew 5, oh, sorry, Matthew 8, Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22. Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22. We're going to go through step by step, verse by verse, and we're going to stop and pause between each one. So just keep your finger on your Bible where your notes are. So we're going to start in Matthew 18, oh, sorry, 8, verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. Now, some of your translations might say orders to his disciples to go to the other side. So the first thing that we see in this text is that there are two different groups. Two different groups of people here. There is the crowd that is gathered around Christ, and they're, at, they're in Capernaum, and they're at the Sea of Galilee, and he's teaching, and he, he, I think he's just finished the Sermon on the Mount, he's just finished that, he's done some healing, and now there's this huge crowd around him, and he's pressed in by all these people, and it's time to, to, to go get some solitude. It's time to break, break the pattern, right? The crowd is, it's, is there for a reason, it's not the reason Jesus is there, so he tells his disciples, hey guys, get in a boat, let's go to the other side. Right, we're going to go to the other side of the sea. This crowd and this, these disciples, they have two distinctives about them. And we can see those throughout the Scripture. They're not necessarily in this text right here, but we have to take what we learn in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can see things about the crowd and we can see things about disciples. And I want to lay out these distinct differences for you so that we can start to think about them. Right? Number one, the crowd loved Jesus and sought Him because of the help He brought them. Right? The crowd gathered around because Jesus was feeding them. Right? Remember the feeding of the 5,000 and two fish and five loaves and it became enough for everyone to have plenty and to take some home? He was feeding them. He was providing for their needs. He was healing their sick. He was speaking truth into their life and giving them hope. He was, he was a healer. He was a teacher. He was a provider. The crowd was there to get something. But the disciples had grown from following Jesus out of hunger for what He gave to being hungry for Him. They wanted Jesus. They wanted to be at His feet. They wanted to be like Him. They wanted to follow Him. The crowd enjoyed listening to Jesus' teachings, 
And they would glean something and some would leave offended and some would say, wow, this guy's teaching like no other person with authority that we've never heard before. The disciples wanted to think like Jesus. They didn't just want to hear His teaching. They wanted to think like Him and pray like Him and be like Him. The crowd wanted a Savior to rescue them from their problems. The disciples wanted a king to rule over their life. Looking for something a little different. The crowd received what they needed, and then they left. They'd go on their way. The disciples gave up everything and followed Him wherever He went. There's a a vast difference between the two groups that we see initially. And I think if we look in our culture today, we see those two groups in the church, right? Or in, in the culture. Interesting, there are 40 million people across the U.S. who claim to be born-again Christians. 40 million people in the U.S. Now, let me ask you an honest question. Are there 40 million disciples who have given up everything to follow Him? Honest question. When we look at the churches today, we look at the culture, we look at the pattern of the culture, 40 million people, are there 40 million people who have given their all in all everything to follow Him? I would say probably not. And if we're honest, you probably agree with me, right? I mean, it's a, it's a difficult thing to say that, that our culture is going the direction it is if 40 million people in the population really were influencing the culture for Christ. But can you imagine what 40 million people could do in our culture if they were all in for Jesus? Can you imagine that? How um, life would be valued. How His name would be honored in, in the public square. Can you imagine how we could fight and not, not fight, fist fight, but like just stand for Jesus and how much impact that would make in the culture? One common example of this that we see in statistics across churches where there's a difference between those who are all in and those who are not is um, it comes in it's something very common. Now listen, before I even start here, I just want you to know this is not a guilt trip. Okay, this is just facts. Okay, it's our pocketbooks, where we spend our money. Right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? So money is often a hold up in our hearts. It's one of those things that hold us back from being all in for Jesus. We, we ask the question, will I have enough? Do I have enough? What if something comes up? Well, I need to save this instead of give to this, to this ministry or this, these poor people. Like, I need to keep. I need to hoard. I need to collect because the bad day might come for me. Sometimes that's, that's a hindrance for us. And we know this is true because there are statistics. Now, once again... Not a guilt trip. It's just facts. I want to ask, what if 40 million people were all in with their finances for the kingdom of God? 40 million people all in. Now, and let's, let's just say they were tithers, right? Here's, here's just very simple. The traditional tithe is 10%, right? We see that in the Old Testament. Give the first tenth of your crops, the first tenth of everything you had to the Lord. It's your first fruits, and you're giving it as worship. So let's say tithing is 10%, right? Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. 10 to 25% of a congregation gives. So we have mega churches of 5,000 people, 10%, 500 are the ones giving. Think about that. Right? Um, only 5% of the U.S. tithes. Right? Only 5% of the 40 million tithe. With 80% of the Americans giving only 2% of their income. So the, the tradition, or what we learn from the Old Testament, the, the challenge is 10%. The vast 80% give 2%. Christians only give at 2.5% per capita today, while during the Great Depression, we were giving at 3.3% per capita. 
We had less when we were given more. Interesting. Numbers like that can invoke a lot of guilt, and I just want to remind you, this is not a plea for your money. If you think it is, go give your money to another church today. I really don't want your money. What I want to tell you is that imagine what would happen if 40 million people gave 10% of their income. We were all sold out. That would be $165 billion in the U.S. alone. $165 billion for churches to use and distribute, right? So what could you do with $165 billion? This is from an article from Relevant Magazine. It's on our Facebook page if you want to go check it out. This is pretty interesting. The global impact would be phenomenal, right? $25 billion could relieve global hunger. $25 billion could relieve global hunger in five years. There would not be anyone starving in five years. Death from preventable diseases would be done in five years. Twelve billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. Fifteen billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, especially in places in the world where one billion people live on less than a dollar a day. Everyone would have access to clean water. One billion could fully fund overseas mission work. Not for a year, but would fully fund overseas mission work. Right? That's crazy. And after that, there would still be 100 to 110 billion left for the churches in the U.S. to distribute to various ministries. Imagine what would happen if the 40 million who claimed to be born again were all in for Jesus. And the first place they showed it were in their pocketbooks. It's huge. What would happen in this city if just the churches here had, had that kind of that start? If just the churches here, if not 10% tithe, but 100% of the Christians were giving something to the ministries of the local church, and those local churches could impact Durham, North Carolina, and Chapel Hill, North Carolina, would there be poverty? Would there be homelessness? I mean, yes, there might be because there's a lot of those are very complicated issues, but like we could have a huge impact on poverty. We could have a huge impact on um, lower education areas, like kids who are just underprivileged. People without social capital could begin to develop social capital. Like, just imagine what the, the church could do if we started with a commitment, an all in commitment to Christ and paid the price. Once again, I don't want your money. I want you to hear what could happen if we were all in. God doesn't want your money out of guilt. If you're guilty right now, go somewhere else, right? God doesn't want your money out of guilt. He wants your money out of worship. So we'll end with that. Here's the point. Imagine what we could do. Examine where you're at today. Where do you identify yourself? Do you see yourself in the crowd, wanting things from Jesus, searching for things for Jesus, um, and when you get satisfied, you leave, and then you put Jesus on the back burner, and then you wait for the next town that He's in, and a need comes up, so you go to Jesus to find your need satisfied? Or are you the disciple that is sold everything and given up all to follow Him wherever He goes? You don't want Him to just be your Savior. You want Him to be the King and the Lord over your life. Are you the disciple that eventually in this text we're going to learn, get into a boat and head into a storm with Him? Are, are you a disciple? Or are you a part of the crowd? That's the question. So the first person that we get to see that jumps out of this crowd and says, I'm ready to be a disciple, right? They raise their hand, they go, Jesus, pick me, right? Is We see the scribe in verse 19, all right? And the scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, 
but the Son of the Man has nowhere to lay his head. Is that not the weirdest response ever in the history? To Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, let me tell you about foxes and birds. You know, it's like, what? Doesn't make any sense. I always thought this was strange. The first thing we see is that Jesus, uh, this scribe comes up and it greets Jesus with a proper title, but it's an insufficient title. Right? He calls him teacher. And Matthew uses a specific word to, to tell you what this guy called Jesus. And it's a word that Matthew uses in the scripture when people don't understand who they're talking to. Right? I mean, it's not Rab, Rabboni. It's uh, Diakonos, or I, I can't even say it right. But Didactados, or uh, whatever. I'm not Greek. <laughs> Let Lance be Greek. Right? Huh? Just say it with God. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the Greek word is, it means you are a teacher of things. You are an instructor, but you're not, you, have, you don't have an authority. You're just, you're just an instructor. So teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus knew that he didn't have a clue who he was talking to because of what he called him. The title that he gave him. Right? But Jesus answered the guy's heart because what the guy was coming to and looking for Jesus was for something. Right? He was looking for something. He was hoping that maybe Jesus would soon be expected to be uh, or accepted as a religious teacher and that if he was a follower of him, he might gain some status. Maybe he was looking for wealth or riches or he saw, hey, these disciples, they're always eating and they're never going hungry, so I'll just jump on board with them and I don't have to worry about food anymore. He was looking for something. I don't know what he was looking for. Those are all, you know, ideas. But at the end of the day, we know he was because of the way Jesus answered him. I always looked at that. That's the strangest way to respond to someone who says, I'll follow you. But what he was saying is, buddy, I got nothing to offer you. Really? I mean, honestly, you can come follow me, but I don't have anything in this world to give you. But what I do have is in the world to come. Because my kingdom is not today. My kingdom is to come. And you're like, where, where, where do you get all that? How do, you, how do you see that he's talking about his kingdom to come? It's in the way he referred to himself. Foxes have holes. Birds in the nest have air. But who? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He didn't say I. He said the Son of Man. It's a reference to Daniel 7. Right? He's talking to a scribe, guy who knew the Scripture. Right? He, he probably knew Daniel. He probably memorized Daniel, end-time prophecies. He got this, day, this, this thing down. And so he's referring to Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, it says this. It's 13 through 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with a cloud of heaven there came like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus just, just answered this scribe with who He is. He said, you came and called me teacher, but who I really am is I'm the King of Kings. I'm the one they talk about in Daniel. I am the Son of Man. This is the first time He refers to Himself in the Gospel of Matthew as the Son of Man. And he'll continue that along. Right? But he answers this scribe who knew what he was, he was looking for. And he said, I don't have anything to offer you in this world, but I've got everything to offer you in the next. So let me ask you this. Is, what if following Jesus today, for you, meant nothing of benefit in this world? Would you still follow him? What if, what if there was no joy? What if there was no, um, no provision? There was no guarantee of success. There was, there was nothing in this world, right? Because Jesus never offered those things anyway. You know what Jesus offered us? Trial, tribulation, suffering, a cross. That's what He offered us. So 
maybe following Jesus for us today is, is we're hoping to get something. We really are looking for Jesus to be someone or to do something in our life for today. And we're not really hoping for the future and the glory that is to come. We're focused on today. But what if the promise of Jesus is not... Is, is, what if He looks at you right now and says, i got nothing to offer you today. But i got something to offer you for eternity. Will you follow me then? It's a pretty heavy question. It's a pretty heavy question for us to deal with. Is Jesus supremely... Or is he, does He have supreme worth in your heart? Can He overcome all the things of this world? Everything this world has to offer. Is He more valuable to you than every possession you could possibly imagine in this place? And would you follow Him to the ends of the earth if He called you to it? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, The cross is laid for every Christian. The cross is laid on every Christian. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with His death. We give over our lives to death. The cross is not a terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing, happy life, but it meets us at the very beginning of our communion with Christ. The call to come and die, to pick up the cross, and to follow Him. When Christ calls a man, He bids him come and die. That is the call of Christ, to follow Him, right? I mean, in Matthew 16, He says, pick up your cross and follow Me. And not just pick it up once, but pick it up daily. And what is the cross? The cross is sacrifice. The cross is suffering. The cross is torment. The cross is death to self. And it might mean literal death in this world. Pick up your cross daily and follow Me. That's the call of Christ. Does everything this world have to offer pale in comparison to the glory that's to come? Are you willing to follow Him on the promises of His kingdom alone? Or do you have to have something today? Are we a part of the crowd? Or are we a part of the disciples? Next we find this next guy that jumps out of the crowd and he's, he's, he's identified as another disciple. But there's something holding him back. We're going to learn what that is. In 21... Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their dead. So we have this, uh, you got to understand who this guy is and what he's actually asking. Okay? He's using a, a common terminology. Bury my father did not mean that his father was dead. Basically, it's a, it's a, it's a concept of. I have a responsibility to my family to help out with the family business until my father dies and then the inheritance is split and when I get what's due me after I've met my family responsibilities, then Jesus, I'm ready to go. So what he's really saying to Jesus is, hey Jesus, um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you buddy, but it's going to be about 30 years before I'm totally in. Is that good? And Jesus says, no. That's not good. I'm not valuable to you. Your, your family business, your, the disappointment of your, of your father or whatever it is, your, your family not approving, that's more valuable than following me. Jesus says, this is interesting, when He says, follow me, right? He's literally saying, right now, this minute, follow me. Leave the dead to bury the dead. Leave the spiritually dead to worry about the physically dead. Follow me right now. If, I, if, I, if you want me to be your Savior and your Lord and your Master, it's not something you put on hold until you figure it out. Maybe that's where we're at in some of our lives, in certain areas of our life, in small little segments of our heart. We're like, God, I'm, I'm hauling in except for this one little area. 
And, and just let me figure that out. Let me, let me have some time. Let me get through this semester and get all these classes done. And then, then I'll go on that mission trip you're calling me to. Or let, let me, just let me get through this rocky place in my marriage and then we'll bring out the whole we need to pursue Christ thing together. Because I don't really want to throw the Jesus card out there because who knows how he or she will respond. Right? So just let me, let me get some things settled. Let me work some stuff out. And then I'm all in. And Jesus says, no, follow me right now. I'm worth it. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the King of Kings. I give life. You've seen what I do here, but imagine what I'm going to do then. Follow me right now. Believe. Have faith in me. Follow me now. Don't wait. What is it in our lives that are holding us back? What is it in your life that's that area of... God, I'll go, but just let me deal with this first. Is it school? Is it work? God, I'm all in, but just let me, let me get this next two promotions, and then I'll really take a stand on who you are. I mean, I'll, I'll really... Once I get up to that level, it doesn't matter what I say. They're not going to fire me. I've got, I've got tenure, right? So let me just, let me just get there, and then, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to put my foot down for Jesus. What, what is that thing that's holding you back from being all in? D.A. Carson said this, he said, Little is done more to harm the witness of the church than the practice of filling its ranks with every volunteer who's willing to make a little profession, talk fluently of experience, but display little in perseverance. Little has done more to harm the witness of the Christian church than the practice of filling its ranks with every volunteer who is willing to make a little profession, talk fluently of experience, but display little of perseverance. When, when the rubber meets the road, do we say, hold up, Jesus, let me just deal with this, and then I'll follow you again? Or do we persevere and we follow Him despite the potential cost? P- the potential cost in our family, the potential cost at work, the potential cost. I mean, Jesus later in Matthew is going to talk about, He's going to say, if you're going to follow me, you've got to love me more than you love your father and your mother, and love more than your sister and your brother. Like, I've got to be supreme. I've, I've come to set father against son, and son against mother. And like, there's, there's going to be a dynamic where you're going to have to pick me, or you're not. A wise man once tweeted this, Distraction is more dangerous. <laughs> a distraction is more dangerous than defiance to our determination to follow and know Jesus. Distraction is more dangerous than defiance to our determination to know and follow Jesus. Thank you, Lance Murphy. I don't know where you got it from, but I, thought, I saw that. I was like, fits. It's good. A wise man was tweeting. Defiance. Sorry. Distraction is more dangerous than defiance to our determination to know and follow Jesus. What are the things in our lives that distract us, that hold us back? As we're walking through, they just they pull us off course a little bit, a little bit more. I mean, it's, it's more dangerous than saying no. You know, I mean, like, at least Jesus can deal with you right there. But if, I mean, if you're constantly distracted. Follow me right now. Right now, this minute. Are we putting Jesus first? Have we counted the cost of paying, uh, paying the cost of following Jesus? Have we, have we really considered, I'm going to follow Him despite whatever, whatever persecution comes my way? And, and it seems more and more like in this culture, the U.S., we're going to be part of that 40 million, you know, that, or that um, 43 million or 63 million that are being persecuted, right? We're going to be a part of that, that group of the church. The more and more the world, the culture is going. 
Even though those excuses appear noble and full of good intentions, if they're keeping us from following Christ, they're wrong. What is it that is keeping us from following? There's a kid named Mohan Shazid. Shazid. Say it right. Mohan Shazid. He's a Pakistani kid. He's 18 years old. He was working in a bricklaying group. He made bricks. And that's a, that's a place of poverty, right? The, the, kid, the poor kids make bricks. And in order to get out of basic slavery, right, he, he had to find a way other than making bricks for less than a dollar a day. He started selling Christian literature to other brickmakers. Brick and, and he started spreading this, this, this literature around, and he was selling it for a dollar here, a dollar there, a little bit of money, to try to get himself out of poverty. And um, he did it mostly because he loved Jesus. Right? He wanted to, to spread the kingdom of God. He wanted to, other people to know Jesus. So he was selling literature. And he was on his way home one day on his bike, and these two guys jumped out of the sugar cane field, and one of them had a hatchet and one had a machete, and they were basically like, dude, stop selling that junk. Right? I mean, we don't do that around here. You stop that. Because, you know, Pakistan is a predominantly Muslim country. And they jumped out, and they said, stop. And he said, no. And so they took a, they took a swing at him. And the one with the machete got his arm. And, uh, and then he started screaming for help, and people started running, so they took off running. And, you know, months later in a Pakistani hospital, um, they, he had infections and everything. He ended up losing his arm. And a missionary came to him and said, What's your plan, Mahan? What are you going to do? And he said, Well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to start selling more Christian literature. Because even if they cut off my legs and my arms until they take my life, I've got to spread the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you a question. Who is a more valuable disciple in the kingdom of God? The guy who wants to go deal with his father and get his inheritance before he follows Jesus? Or Mohan? Right? Which one do you think Jesus is calling us to be? Mohan? Or let me go get my money and then I'll, and then I'll come and follow you. In verse 23, we see that the disciples got in the boat. Right? There was the crowd... And we don't know whether these two guys got in a boat yet. Right? We don't know if they got in a boat. We don't know if they said, you know what, you're right. You are the son of a man. You are the king of kings. And I don't want you just for, to get something. I want to follow you because I want you to be my Lord. We don't know if he made that decision and jumped in the boat. We don't know who that scribe was. We don't know if the second guy said, you know what, you're right. I have to follow you right now today. My family does, it, I love my family, but I love you more. We don't know if they jumped in the boat. But at the end of the day, the disciples got in the boat. And they headed across the sea. And they headed into a storm, right, that Jesus would eventually come. And so, where are you at today? Are you standing in the crowd? Are you getting in the boat? Are you struggling with that thing about, like, what is it that's holding me back from being all in? What is it that's, that's keeping me back? Do, do I have an excuse that I'm putting before Christ and I'm saying, God, I know you love me and you're going to forgive me, and so I'm just going to keep laying this excuse before you, and I know you're going to keep loving me, but, but there's something just keeping you back from being all in for Jesus, paying the cost of discipleship. Often we like to think about it like this. This is how I'll close for you. We like to think about our, our commitment to Jesus being a one-time emotional, amazing event. Maybe it's an intellectual event for some people. It's not very emotional. It's just you, you count the facts and you make it go. So you, it's like going up to Jesus and laying a blank check at, at the feet of Jesus saying, I'm yours, it's over, done. And that's it. But discipleship is like this. It's like Jesus giving you back that check and writing it for a million dollars and saying, go cash this in for quarters. And you have to go back and you have to cash it in for quarters. So you got this big old bag of quarters. And discipleship is this. 
It's laying those 25 cents, 50 cents here, 35, I mean, 75 cents here, a dollar there, 25, 25. It's, it's throughout your life laying down the price of your life for Christ, right? It's laying down yourself. It's through listening to your neighbor's kids. Instead of saying get lost, it's bringing them in and having a cup of coffee and, and hearing how they're struggling with emotional distress or they, they might be having some depression issues and you, you spend some time loving them and caring for them and sharing the hope of Jesus. It might be um, standing up to that promotion and saying, I can't take it. It's not above reproach. You know, it's, uh, my, one of my employees was undercut and Christ called me to love my neighbor as myself, and I wouldn't want you to do that for me. So I'm not going to take that promotion over them because that was, that was not above reproach. 50 cents here, 25 cents here. It might be serving in the homeless shelters or in ministries in your church or showing up early and staying late to help other people know and experience more about Christ. Showing up at Chick-fil-A to meet with people and talk about how you're suffering, how, the sins that you're struggling with, and, and studying Scripture together. It's not, it's not a one-time event. It's an everyday thing. It's every day taking up your cross, paying that price to follow Jesus. Dropping a quarter here, 50 cents here. It's a lifelong journey. And it's hard. It is straight up hard. It is straight up hard. And some of us have paid a price. right? There's probably testimony in here of the price of discipleship that you've paid and the price that you foresee yourself paying in the future. Question is, is it worth it? Is Jesus supreme? Is the Son of Man, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is He supreme? Or is there something else in this world that has more value that you're holding on to and you can't let go? If there is, I want to invite you to just talk to Jesus about it. Tell Him, this is hard. I mean, I've always dreamed of this, and you're asking me to lay it down. This is hard. I've always wanted to go this way, and you're telling me to go this way. That's hard. Talk to him about it. Just be honest. And then submit yourself to the King of Kings, Son of Man. Follow Him today, right now, this very hour. That's the challenge. Let's pray.